Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my co-host, Michael Fang and Yeonji. So, Yeonji, Michael Fang, how are you guys doing today? Uh, glad to be back for the 10th episode. It's always nice to have you guys around. I think we've had a really successful uh, 10 episodes so far, so I'm looking forward to the rest of them. Oh, yeah, and Michael Hamilton's here, too. How are you doing, Michael Hamilton? Uh, I was doing better before you forgot me. <laughs> I didn't forget you. I just I just called you out last, that's all. Oh, okay. But I'm glad to hear everybody's doing well. So, uh, yeah, obviously this week we are having special guests, uh, Michael Fang and co-host on the Attack for 20 podcast, Yeonji. Uh, we just finished recording an episode discussing the limited format in Uprising and all of our wonderful opinions and pick orders and how much we all love the format. And now on the Manor podcast, we're going to discuss our high-level thoughts about Classic Constructed and why everybody should be playing Phi, apparently. So, Michael Feng, why are you going to be playing Phi in Classic Constructed? Ah, well, it's the main hero that I've been testing. I think it's really funny, early days, like really early days, right when Uprising came out. Honestly, before we had access to paper, we were testing Phi, um, and I thought it was so silly. Like, um, by like day three... The, the new tech at that time, now it's now it's old tech. Now now it feels like Boomerfy. Already Boomerfy. It was Zoomerfy, now it's already Boomerfy because everyone knows. But Blossom of Spring was like the new tech at that time. And it was just like it just felt like um I don't know if you guys played like Viserai when in Blitz before, you know, the Living Legend and all that stuff. But it was just when we had tunic, it's like you have two tunic counters. Your opponent has two tunic counters, it's five mirror, and you're attacking into him, you get a mask and momentum trigger, and they're just like, Oh, that's cool. And you know, oh no. <laughs> and it's just like that feeling um of uh, of that of the deck just being so powerful with an extra resource one art of war like two power cards like one art of war one spreading flames any type of permutation of that popping the stubby and just going just going 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 and then having like a, a a game plan maybe not the best game plan but like a game plan against guardian uh fatigue guardians um and then like you know of course just having like an advantageous matchup into prism uh, oh, and the last part is just it being a very consistent deck. Like most of the versions are just like registering literally like in the 60, it's just like 57 attacks and like three Art of Wars, right? Like the decks are super consistent. That, that's kind of the reason why I brought it to Utrecht and why I was testing it a lot. That makes sense. What about you, Yanji? I also brought Fight at Utrecht, but I just didn't play it. <laughs> yeah, you wound up playing Old Time, right? Yeah. So it's actually pretty funny. I think looking at the Utrecht meta, honestly, it felt like... It was maybe like a week or two behind from what we were kind of going over and testing. Where obviously like 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 Phi with like the stubby hammers combo is obviously very strong. But I just think that there are things that you can do to counteract with to counteract it. Um, I know at some RTNs people were having success with like Bravo Showstopper, and I think it's basically any deck that could play Command and Conquer and Pummels can kind of like if the Phi is just like all in on trying to combo you uh they can't really ever like get a turn to do that if you just like keep the disruption up uh so that's why i ended up not playing fine it's pretty funny actually we were uh we were at Utrecht, and then we were like talking about all these things that you can do against Fi, and Michael was losing confidence in his deck every every hour. It was miserable. And also, Friday was the European Championships, which I was not invited to, but Yanju was. He was the only non-European that was actually playing. And I was watching these games, and I'm seeing these Fi's like lose to like Prism. At one point, I saw Fi against a Prism, and there were two Parable of Humilities, and the Fi has to like lead with an inflame but it's just like he's leading with it so he can't even get a phoenix flame but it doesn't matter because it's kind of attacking for negative one <laughs> just so you can searing ember blade just like do something that turn that's interesting because uh. i found like the prism into five matchup to be miserable for prism like i i guess i need to watch and have more experience in that matchup because i i haven't found it to be playable from the prism perspective so far so i must be missing it's something. not good it's not good for prism but there yeah. are things that prism can do where it makes the five players sweat it's kind of similar to like if you're playing like old viscerai uh in cc into prism like obviously that matchup is tilted towards viscerai pretty hard but there are turns where like oh i pop my skeleta and then you play arc light sentinel and now i just that might be good enough to win you the game hmm. yeah 
basically Arclight uh, in response to a power card like Art of War, Parable of Humility. Like those those cards can help you win. And and just if the prism in the first couple of turns is just being like hyper efficient, like one for sevens, um, it, it, it's 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 not as like lopsided as I don't know, like Olden versus Prism or like an Icelander versus Prism. Like Prism can win. Like and, and not even like like I like a one or five percent clip. I think Prism can win that like one in four times. Like twenty five percent. Um, it also depends on how, how the Fi is built, right? Like, uh, and you haven't asked me this, but <laughs> there are different flavors of Fi. I think that's one of the things that, uh, I guess kind of drew me towards playing the hero. Um, you can go anywhere from just like a hundred percent in on the combo. Like all you're trying to do is just combo, deal like 50 damage, make sure, and just hope that's good enough. And maybe you can't kill them that turn, but it's kind of like Bolton post combo, but like Fi is a lot better post combo, but Fi won't have any, won't have gained any health. Unlike Bolted. Or you can play a little bit more mid-range, um, have a little bit more armor, try to get more massive momentum triggers. Or not. Like, it might be that massive momentum is just like in almost most of the matchups is just not as good as Lynx. But yeah, it's 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 not as bad. Like, if you're playing Prism, you can win. Maybe you can make your deck a little bit better. I think most of the time you're you're, you're not going to be favored. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be a situation where Prism's like over 50%. But you can definitely improve that matchup. I, I, I guess none of you guys tested that matchup but i it's <laughs> as a five player i'm not like max comfortable going against prism like i don't think it's a buy is there, is there a matchup that you'd rather see than prism from the five seat so far i would almost always want to see dromai like that's the one that actually kind of feels like a buy you know i'm i'm super excited to see a dromai beat me because then i'm like mm, okay well like that's that's okay so that's another reason why i play Fi. so so last year when chain was really good or at least we thought chain was really good like even at orlando the reason why i played chain was because i just like kept losing the chain and i was like well hopefully someone beats me and then i'll just play that deck and then you know chain was very strong so that's another reason why i play like playing these like like everyone has a target or, or like the deck that has like everyone kind of gutting for it because I'm just like trying to by osmosis learn how to beat the deck. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So Michael Hamilton, why are you going to be playing Fi exclusively going forward? <laughs> I, I'm I'm not going to be playing Fi exclusively going forward. Well, I am playing a lot of Fi in testing because to uh, trying to figure out what beats Fi, someone needs to be playing Fi. So nice. I've been actually playing a lot of Fi in testing, but I think it's unlikely I'll end up on Fi for the Pro Tour because like. Yanchi was saying there's if you're playing pummels and cncs and you're attacking phi it seems kind of rough from the phi side of things yep yep interesting yeah, and, and so at utrecht obviously phi was a huge element huge component it wasn't the only it wasn't the only represented hero i think the one thing that i kind of like from a vibe feeling is i just felt like there were so many briars and viserize yeah i was um, actually so surprised how many briars there are i personally think that briar is not playable <laughs> that's a hot <laughs> like, take if i've ever heard one like, I don't think Briar is even close to being playable. Like, if you wanted to play an aggro deck, you should probably play Fi. And if you want to play a deck that's, like, a little bit, like, has, like, better armor and a little bit more disruptive, you should play Vis. And Briar is just, like, you are both playing cards that don't block three, and you are slower than Fi. You don't that's think there's really any benefit to, like, channel out heroic combo turns or anything like that? Because that's a powerful thing when you have that going. Uh, the only benefit is if Old Him becomes the most represented deck and you want to play an aggro deck that can beat Old Him and Prism. But I find it pretty hard to believe that um, more than 5 to 10% of a tournament would ever register Old Him just because of, I think, for a lot of people's like time concerns. In case you missed it, Yanji's basically saying that Briar like, actually has a decent matchup into Old Him, unlike Viz and unlike yeah, Pi. I, I don't disagree. It's like not great but it's the best of the aggro decks for sure yeah i think that's the only advantage but if if you're like talking about like for 95 percent of the other participants that you're going to be playing against that's just like strictly worse interesting yeah i think yanji's uh, you know he, he'll say something's unplayable a lot faster than <clears throat> other people I, I agree with the sentiment i think it kind of doesn't make as much sense to be playing Briar right now because you are still like in the same way that um guardians and just like everyone under the sun is probably going to be trying to be more disruptive if they can't be if they can't raise fi like that disruption is just as good into maybe even worse for briar than like fi so i don't know i would just be very scared to play briar moving forward yeah that makes sense any questions you want to ask them now michael i feel like i've dominated the conversation so far you have yeah. to have burning questions for our for our guests so i actually wanted to ask 
uh, Michael, you kind of were posting on Twitter a lot about what decks were doing well, what decks were at the top of the table. What was like the energy of the room and like as people were losing to the Fidex and playing against the Fidex, was there like a lot of frustration there or how? It's really interesting you say that. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, I w- <sighs> like people were not seeing these five combos because you know how the nature of the way these tournaments go, like it's usually like the tor- the, the, the the matches that are taking more time that more people will be able to observe, right? And as you can yeah. imagine, the five games were, go- were, go- were ending. Very- Someone was dying in those five games um, or the five mirror. And like often, like I would like be doing something and then I would come over or I was actually, when I was still in the tournament, I dropped before the last round. I would have to play my games, but I was playing five. So my, my games were reasonably quick. Um, and then I would walk around kind of, you know, walk to all the top tables and tweet about what they were so there wasn't really like this like oh my gosh fi is so busted and op i can't believe he's doing this is like someone banned this already right like i did not pick up that energy at all i found like most of the huh they're just coming to watch my game yeah like like, like, it would be your game it was jamie's game because he was playing dromai and then it would be like there would inevitably be like some viserai mirrors and and um like viserai versus prior that somehow would take a long time but like that's where like most of the people were gravitating towards during the Swiss is just like because like, like Jamie was, like, was also doing really well like, he was in the top tables and he was the only dromai and he was always getting something different and the okay. games were just like so long like he's like I'm like watching him like pitch stack and he's I feel like he's pitching for like third cycle on some of these reds so I, I didn't feel like there was like that energy I guess because mainly because players just didn't get to see spectators just didn't, didn't get to see how fast those games were and at this point, I think not only within tournament halls, but also outside on the internet forums or just general LGS discussions, there's been a constant cycle of overreacting to strong heroes. You have some examples where, I guess, or one primary example with Bravo, star of the show, clearly being too good with a busted hero ability. But overall, thinking back to like the Briar meta or the Chain meta, there were clear answers to that deck. And sometimes it just feels like a deck will perform well in the first few weeks of a given season and people just throw their hands up and say well there's no answers to this deck and there's nothing we can do about it yeah i heard somebody did pretty well during that meta not playing briar (laughs) on a a calling or or two yeah but he won the calling during nationals and you know we all know no good players are playing in in that calling (laughs) michael fang was too busy in the finals of of nats right true yeah, I mean, like I, when, when Plunder Run was banned, I was I was pretty happy. I That's fair. That was a messed up card. Um, but Ball Lightning maybe excessive, especially. I think the saddest part was just that Lexi couldn't use it. <laughs> yeah, just making a Lexi specialization it probably wouldn't find. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that um, it actually frustrates me a little bit when I see a deck perform even reasonably well, and the immediate like thing is. And I see this in every TCG. Like, it's not just Flesh and Blood. Right. Um, this thing is OP. You got to ban it. Like, how could... They, like, the designers are te- so bad. And I think the worst thing is just, like, a lot of times it doesn't, like, it doesn't live up to the hype. You know what I mean? Like, by the next tournament, people will figure out how to beat it. And <laughs> it just, it's like, you know, most of the time they stay as a dominant, like a force, but not like a overwhelmingly dominant force. And so I I really enjoy it when people are trying to like be against the wind and say, hey, like maybe this is actually beatable. And I got to say that Fi is like one of like of like compared to Starvo, compared to like chain both post and uh, pre seeds ban, Fi is way more like exposed to like different types of disruption. There's just like so many angles you can use to beat Fi that I just like did not feel like we're the same for starvo chain and those are like the main two big baddies Chain, i feel chains like Fi, except he has carrier and husk so if we gave Fi carrying husk then maybe Fi has some problems yeah yeah i guess sure you know i could it's arguable that and i'm not sure what you guys have kind of gotten from your testing but mass of the pouncing links is just like a like a damaging carrying husk um yeah but you have a carrying husk you can't even cnc them yeah, that's true the first cnc is just leave block it with the carrying husk true. i think that was just like the dumbest part about chain yeah yeah true yeah that's what it seems like the more i played into fi with uh mass of the pouncing links where you're just looking at the amount of damage where your pieces of equipment are usually worth and yeah. on paper obviously mass of the pouncing links you look at it says well you're supposed to get a two damage attack with it so it's a two damage headpiece but with these new you know rupture cards or these effects that just proportionally push that two damage way higher than it should be it often turns into a six seven damage headpiece so Mm -hmm. that's obviously you know way more powerful than your average piece of equipment yeah 
Yeah. But I guess pulling back a little bit in Utrecht and for the Pro Tour, how are you guys going to approach like testing and handling these split format tournaments? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked us this question. Okay. This is how we're going to do testing. I'm going to ask Michael. Hey, Michael, you want to test CC? And he's going to say yes or no. And then I'm just going to end up playing Rocket League. <laughs> or we'll end up going to one of the local stores and playing draft. Yeah. I, I think for CC testing actually i i actually have the opinion that most people uh, spend too much time testing cc and that's not to say that they are they shouldn't spend time testing cc but most of the time is wasted where they're just like playing games against each other to kind of like learn how to play the decks and that's not really the most productive use of their time uh i think the best thing that you can test for is understanding like what your overall matchup strategies are uh and if you have like a game plan for every matchup it doesn't like doesn't really benefit fit you to like keep like playing the matchup like a million times unless you make like specific card changes to see whether or not it like affects the strategy that you're going to go into it with yeah and i would say that like jamming a bunch of games is also can be helpful but it, it feels a little bit more helpful for decks that are um I don't want to say control. I want to say like more reactive. Like I feel like Ultim often is kind of reacting to what your opponent's doing. Obviously now with like pummels and, and spinal, like Ultim builds are a lot more proactive now, but like it still feels like a deck that like rewards you for knowing when to block basically. But testing with Phi, I, I felt like I was just losing my mind. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I like <laughs> last couple of weeks, like Yandu wanted to test and I was just like, uh, like it, we called it at least at the time is just like a, Zoomerify because at least the build that I ended up bringing to Utrecht, I'm not sure I would continue to play something so aggressively slanted for the combo. It's just like, it's just zoom, zoom. Like you, you attack me for like literally 25. I look at my hand. I'm like, this is going to deal more than 25. As long as part of your combat chain doesn't involve a command and conquer. What's the other consuming volition, even like a race face. That's the, that's still fine. We can play through that. Like as long like it's like I get to keep my five card hand and I don't have like more than one frostbite. Like I'm just face tanking on the expectation slash hope that I can, you know, 50 you put you down to the, the danger zone and just forever Phoenix flame chip you away to, to oblivion. It just wasn't a fun experience for me testing. But I do think that like now that we have a good idea that, okay, other people are on the five deck as well. At the time, I really didn't feel like people were like, the like I did not expect there to be a, a lot of people playing kind of like a zoom or five build. And I honestly felt like even with, what was it? There was like 36 players, I want to say, right? Maybe 56 uh, day one at Utrecht. Even that number felt like on par. Like I felt like, I feel like there should be, should have been more almost and i think it's maybe because there there weren't any other callings uh but i felt like if there was a calling like two weeks earlier it would have been the same number of fives and by by this time two weeks later there'd be even more and it really takes like a third tournament in my opinion to like for people to like really figure out and be able to kind of test live with like other players in, in calling environments how to beat the five deck yeah maybe um, singapore is gonna be more fives i that's what i think actually i don't know not sure if that's something you guys were gonna ask us but we also are going to singapore so that's the week Again, right before um, France. Had they announced it earlier, there's a world where we went. But given that LSS doesn't announce tournaments until the week before they happen, we already <laughs> booked our travel flights and made arrangements before that. So that's why yep. we're not going. Yeah, I, I had to do a lot of calls and refunds to change our plans. So I totally get you. But I, I guess the full question that you asked was, uh, how how do we prepare for the mix format? I think, to be honest, like I, I think Yanji feels this way too. He and I both feel very comfortable with draft right now. I think we're able to kind of figure out the open lane. Uh, I do have a penchant for drafting five, but I have drafted other heroes. It's just like, I do have like a kind of like a, when in doubt, I do draft five. When I, it's like, I look at the pack, it's like, I, I'm pretty sure this guy just took a generic. And it's like, we're in pick seven. It's like, he's just taking generics. I almost just will put him on Icelander. Uh, we didn't talk about this in actually our episode with you all, but... We have talked about it previously. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but in the back 322, on average, and we've opened a decent amount of boxes, 16 of 24 of the back 322 uh, will have an Icelander common. Does that make sense? Oh, the, the extra card will be an Icelander card in two thirds of packs. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like we have opened a lot of boxes and just kind of kept track of that. And it's just, it's very, it's like sometimes it's as low as 14, as high as 18, but it's like very, very close to 16. And we think it's like by design, like we didn't, we don't think it's like an accident. We think it's like a, like a design, like intentional thing. 
If they and did, they're both really sealed. smart, yeah. Just to make the ever, Icelander a little bit deeper. Yeah, if you ever open seal pools, you also will, will experience the same thing. You should have like 24 Icelander playable uh, cards. So like 22 commons, I think. Um, You just will have more Icelander cards. And that 322 is almost always Icelander. So if you're like deep into pack six, sorry, not deep, but like into like pick one, pack pack one, pick six, seven, eight, and you still see 222 in the back, it's very likely that you have an Icelander passing to you. Um, Reading Icelander signals are, are like one of the hardest. So like, that's like kind of something that can help you, I guess. Interesting. I thought you were going to say the benefit of, or how you guys were practicing for the split formats was just pick the same hero of the uprising heroes. This way you know how to play Fi <laughs> in both limited and class that's, construction. No, I, that's, I like Michael's, highly, that's Michael's strategy. Yeah. I like don't recommend that. I, you, you guys have no idea how like, I'm just so bored of playing Fi by the end of the day. And then I just, the worst feeling is knowing that the next day I have to play Fi again. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. Like for the record, I don't really enjoy the Fi combo, like any of the sequences. Like I don't really enjoy playing him in limited anymore. I don't enjoy playing him in CC, but this is like the life I've picked. So live by the Fi and die by the Fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I there think... was a weekend, like when we went to Syracuse, it was like CC, I played Fi, and then we did a draft that night for fun. Or we decided to event draft. I played Fi. We did a draft that night, team draft. Our entire team drafted Fi. We won that team draft. The next day it's sealed, which you know what that means. Fi. Top eight for the sealed. I drafted Fi. It's just like <laughs> Uh, I think I think for the for the listeners, honestly, if you can corral seven other people and do like a lot of draft practice, especially if you don't feel like as comfortable, like I think the baseline is that you have to like know how to draft all three heroes as like you know what a good deck looks like for those for all three heroes and you're capable of drafting a like a 3-0 deck with each hero. If you're not at that level, then probably like your time is going to be best spent. Like the majority of time, your time is going to be best spent playing draft uh, if we, whenever you can get like the seven other people to do it with you. But if you, yeah, I, I think my message is just like, don't over test CC because especially for like these like mixed format, like I only play like the calling is only like five rounds of CC. That's like yeah. five rounds of CC, six rounds of draft. Yep. Or, or sorry. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it was six, 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 rounds. six, six and six. So yeah. you play the same number of CC rounds as you play draft. And I would argue that like draft is like more impactful because you only like drafted two decks, right? So you only get like two shots to like come up with like a good thing. Whereas I feel like each like CC match individually, like each matchup is kind of like a different game. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the skill cap on draft, obviously, most of the time, unless you're just sitting there drafting Fi every time, is going to be a lot higher. <laughs> but even in drafting Fi, because then you also still have to play the games of limited and games of limited and flesh and blood are still they always feel like they're this razor edge line where you miss sequence a single turn or you don't maximize a hand that your deck gives you and you could just lose the game on the spot because of that so that definitely makes the importance of the decisions you're making both when drafting and playing the games a lot more impactful than in games of classic constructed where maybe you can sometimes miss sequence a card during a turn or something like that and it would matter but it might not automatically cost you the game like it would in limited yeah oh i, want, I have a good uh anecdote for this yeah. uh so during my second draft i'm two and oh i'm playing icelander into a phi he has two cards left in his hand i have one resource floating and I, in my hand i have a, a red oasis respite and I, I forgot like some other card that i was going to be able to either arsenal or play and so my opponent ends up with two cards left i was planning to just like play the oasis respite on whatever attack that he played next uh instead he plays a red healing bomb and the right play would have been for me to just play the oasis respite to gain a life but i didn't so i just ended up like having it in my hand and if i had made that play then i wouldn't have had to block his phoenix flame on like a subsequent turn because i would have went to one instead of you know dying and I think just like, yeah, like you said, it's like just like Razor's Edge in terms of like these like little decisions. So Michael Hamilton, how are you going to prepare for the split format then? What's the, what's your approach going to be? Um, I'm, I'm really eager to hear about what your test is like. Uh, I'm not at all involved in it, so I want to know what it's like. So um, I've done quite a few drafts, both for the Nationals and other drafts locally, as well as done some online drafts. Online drafts aren't the smoothest, and it can be hard to get eight people to stick around to actually play the games after drafting when you draft online. Um, but I think like just 
playing a lot of drafts online and playing uh, Class Constructed with our new testing group. We're testing with the Wolf Pack. I don't think we've publicly said that yet, but um, that's we've kept that on the DL so, so far. But spoilers, not public. If you want to edit that out, that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a big deal. We just haven't said it, but yeah. here we are. Oh, exclusive scoop. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been really great. There's a lot of people testing lots of different heroes and really trying to figure out what's good and um, basically playing online with them frequently. And Yeah, we have a pretty rigorous testing schedule where every day at the crack of dawn, we get up and we start playing games of Classic Constructed for about two hours, an hour and a half. And then we start our work days. We have regular like team meetings where we discuss our thoughts on things. It's been really awesome working with them so far so oh my god dude you guys are so prepared <laughs> you say that but i still feel woefully unprepared for this class like i feel like i need to spend like eight hours a day testing like all these different matchups i like it doesn't need to go as extreme like i don't need to know like what the azalea versus levia matchup is like in this format but mm-hmm. as far as like all the different iterations of like Icelander builds, Oldheim builds, Boomer Bravo builds. Um, I know you said she's unplayable, but like maybe there's a good build of Briar out there even or stuff like that where really actually getting a holistic grasp around this format, it's going to take like an extremely large amount of time. And I think that's also why we see like heroes like Fi, that's just this overly aggressive, just like boom, boom, you're dead hero, um, do so well in the earlier formats. Not only because it's an aggressive, impactful deck, but it's also a very, you know, obviously just kind of linear deck where like the goal is just push as much damage as possible turn after turn. So it has like a lower complexity to it to figure out and then also just like an innately higher power level Mm -hmm. yeah you just like don't have to spend as much time learning the intricacies of taking off your equipment and doing 50 (laughs) yeah well i mean seriously like i mean that's literally also a reason why i played five like we didn't test that much um we didn't really play every single matchup every single permutation and some of my five games like uh i turned to did i think 46 to someone at the calling and like like i just i didn't really know what they were doing they were they're also playing five i just like didn't know what they didn't matter because they were just already at three and then you know like they ended up conceding the next attack i did like i just i came with a head jab they just gave me the head they're like handshake time um like that's just you know like i don't really enjoy it partially also because like i feel like coming from chain and starvo these are decks that like on like weren't like go go every turn like you would block some turns like you'd think about um you know you know, do the math and like oh okay we, we should block this hand like fine is just like if i didn't have the combo I just blocked a lot of times I just block two it's fine you know it can make up for all these like inefficiencies like later um and like it just like felt like so anti-fundamental <laughs> um and like you know and i know michael hamilton is you know very very fundamental about like you know each card being worth a certain amount of points and and trying to be optimal um like just playing a deck like Fi, especially the more zoomer versions or <laughs> and i gotta give credit to so one of our friends um uh his name is Christian from, he's from Croatia. Um, gave, gave me another nickname for the five version, five deck. And I'm not sure you can definitely edit this out. Uh, Roger, if it's, if this is not what you want us to stay, but he called it the stripper version. And <laughs> because, uh, that, so like if your equipment is blossom spring, stubby links, and, uh, some type of like go against shoes, like flippers or the snapdragon scalers, like you literally will have no equipment at the end of your combo. Like you've completely stripped everything. And the version that plays Mask and Momentum instead, he called it, you can keep your hat on. <laughs> so, <laughs> now that's fine for around here. I asked Michael, how's it hanging in episode? So we're not, we're okay. We can go up to PG-13 around here. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that that was just something like, I don't know if that really answered the question, but uh, yeah, for testing, I think I, I totally know where you're coming from in the sense that like we have less than a month left, right? Between now and France and it could feel like pretty overwhelming to think about like oh I, I need to be comfortable like every matchup possible um just because like you know we're not sure what deck we want to play and then once the moment we do kind of figure out what deck we want to play we gotta make sure we have a good game plan against like most of the like hero pool but then like it depends on which version we're playing like what sideboard cards we want to kind of put in there like that's totally like I'm feeling overwhelmed just thinking about it <laughs> yeah and it's kind of compounded where like I wish there was a just straight classic constructed calling before then just so we would have 
a whole large tournament of like dedicated players trying to do well in only classic constructed because something that we haven't really discussed about these split format tournaments i guess we alluded to it with like the weight of the matches in limited and classic constructed but the results obviously are are skewed based on uh the results of people's ability to draft well and play well in this limited format so let's say maybe dromai is actually like a busted deck and everybody who brought dromai to the tournament like just crushed every single one of their classic constructed games but bombed all of their draft formats well we would never know if that dromai deck was that good because in classic constructed because of their poor limited performance and vice versa where decks maybe aren't as good as they are where maybe they kind of got a little lucky in a matchup once or twice but they they were just limited crushers and they just threw out all their draft pods and squeaked into top eight that way where so it kind of like skews the results and kind of makes it hard to really actually determine the true weight of the class constructed results yeah definitely i i think the number of cc games that you play at like one of these mixed format callings is the same as like the number of cc games that you play at like a road to nationals so i mean it's like roughly equivalent uh yeah, and I already have my own hot takes about the results of like road to nationals anyways, where it's like how different are road to nationals than like local armories most of the time where they're a bit higher like competitive level, but ultimately not by much. Like a lot of road to nationals only have like 20 or so people. It's kind of like the ProQuest in the last season as well, where, you know, people don't necessarily care about going to France, so they don't go to the ProQuest season. So then only... 18 people show up to the ProQuest and then, well, Dorinthia wins the ProQuest. Does that mean like Dorinthia is like an actual tier one hero or she just kind of like was the best player in the room was already going to win no matter what hero they were playing, odds are. So uh, you kind of get some of that in like local metas as well. So that's kind of the cool thing about, I guess, not having like an online client in Flesh and Blood where it does take a lot longer than people give it credit for to like actually solve these metas, but it puts a lot more pressure on like the high level players like us to actually figure it out then at that point. What's Michael Hamilton playing? That's what I want to know. <laughs> and then and then I'm just gonna I'm gonna follow in his footsteps. <laughs> what am I playing? Um if the if the Pro Tour was this weekend, I would play old time. I don't yes. know what I I don't know what I'm playing at the Pro Tour, but if it was this weekend I would play old time. Be my old time sensei. <laughs> Roger, what would you play? Uh I don't know. Probably old time I, my heart also wants to say Viserai, but I just have an inherent problem with Viserai at the end of the day where I feel like he doesn't have any like atrocious matchups, but like his worst matchup is like himself most of the time where you just have a bunch of like high variance cards that you have to include in your deck because sometimes they are just actually insane. But a card like Sonata is just like, I hate Sonata Arcanics so much. (laughs) I just Every time like you need that card to draw you a card or like you try to hedge by putting extra resources into it, I just feel like, obviously I don't remember the times where it does the thing because I just move on from it. But the times where it misses, I just feel like, what am I even doing here at that point? I just spent all this card resources time of my turn to do actual nothing at this point so uh i love viscerai i and i love his high highs but man those low lows those they bring me down okay well we'll just join michael hamilton's old home dojo <laughs> yeah really i just need to be as lucky as michael hamilton michael hamilton i, I always say should be playing like brute because he'll just never roll a one on scab skin leathers he doesn't need gambler's gloves actually he can just not even include that in his reinar deck he'll just always get two action points every dice roll it's, it's insane <laughs> there was a levia in uh, somewhat of the top tables yeah i i, I lost to that levia um kind of punted one turn because i was getting a little bit frustrated at uh the pace of the game but yeah that guy that guy did pretty well interesting yeah but michael let's say we old times banned he's actually living legend for the pro tour who else would you play uh i'd probably just go to Fi. like i said i've been playing Fi <laughs> a lot to play the boogeyman of the format in our testing and Fi's a hero i have so i have like a reason a lot of reps with him so if, I, if it was this weekend and old time was not a legal choice i would just play by dang i was hoping you would say reinar but okay i'm more <laughs> i do i did play a couple games of levia and i think there's some power there but i, I don't think i'd do it i think i'd just play by how many heroes would have to be living legend before you would play azalea uh how many heroes are in the game right now 16 i believe there's 16 adult heroes yeah if there were 15 living legend adult heroes, <laughs> i'd play azalea <laughs> 
<laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good to know. Um, well, what do you guys think about mixed formats? Um, Roger, you kind of alluded to it, uh, or at least part of it, you know, the, the results being murky and not really having a super clear picture of what actual CC deck is is like good, but like, what do you guys actually feel about mixed formats? Like, are you excited to go to Paris to play or Lil to play a mixed format? Stressed? I'm super excited. That's for sure. Uh, I'm interested to see how extra mentally taxed I will be at the end of the day, where even at the end of like classic constructed or sealed or just like single format tournaments at the end of the day, like six, seven o'clock PM rolls around and I'm mentally drained. Like you asked me like what I want to eat for dinner. I can barely make that decision at that point where I don't know how much extra mental energy it's going to take for me to sit down, try to draft effectively, play my games of limited, and then switch complete gears of thoughts to play these games of class constructed um, and try to do well in that format then, and then try to do it all over again the next day. And then if somehow by the luck of the world comes together and I make it into top eight, I just feel like I would just punt all over the place in top eight. I would just be so exhausted at that point, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, this is unrelated, but I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm gonna pitch it on this podcast, and I hope that you guys join my petition. I think that for all of, like the three-day tournaments that they host, like Pro Tour or something, it would be really nice if they made like the first day uh, not as stressful. So um something similar to what they do in like esports tournaments sometimes the first day you just like play for seating and then maybe you can like award buys or whatever if you do if you do really well i think overall would i think maybe like alleviate some of that like mental fatigue i I really like that idea for like smaller tournaments like maybe invitationals or things where there would be a smaller field but i think like with the bigger more open fields with these three-day tournaments it's really nice that if you show up and you don't do the best on day one you can still just hop into the calling the next day and still have a tournament to play over the weekend and you'd kind of lose that if you switch to that format makes sense so michael or michael hamilton how do you feel about uh mixed formats i i really like it and i'm excited to compete in leal the only concern i guess or the only downside of it is I think to be at the same level of prepared preparedness, mm-hmm. uh, you need to spend twice as much time as you would for a single format tournament because you have to prepare for twice as many formats. And that puts a lot of stress on both playing, getting in the CC reps and getting in the draft reps when you need to basically be ready to compete in two, it's not two separate tournaments, but it's two completely different games. I don't I don't think I'll have the same worry as Roger did, where he said that switching between formats would be like pretty mentally taxing. But I think the getting to a level where I feel adequately prepared is feels like a lot. And even for single format tournaments, I feel like I usually am not super ready by the time it gets there. And it's like, well, I did as best I did the best I could. I'm out of time, so this is what we're going with. And I think for this tournament, it's going to be even more of that. You guys ever like in the midst of the tournament? <clears throat> learn something new like in krakow we brought uh sutcliffe suede hides in our like viscerite deck list we just like never knew when you would play them and then we found like this other player christian hauck who i uh, played in the finals and he, we saw that he was playing them in like the viscerite mirror or something i was like oh yeah that's really smart and then like for example in in the most recent tournament at utrecht i like didn't understand like how to play like a certain matchup with old him and then i played it once and I was like, ah, oh, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And then like <laughs> learn during the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. So during the road to nationals, it's a little bit less high stakes. I had actually never played Phi into Prism before and I was playing Prism and I just had to try to like figure it out in the moment. And I, that's maybe that's also why I think it's so bad for me. Um, just because I, I based my whole traumatic experience of Phi into Prism based on just how badly I was stomped on how badly I cyborged the first game. And then I saw the exact same player in top eight. And then I think I boarded a little bit better, but still probably not 100% optimally. And then also equally got smashed that game. So there's definitely, even for like lower stakes, smaller tournaments, there's just so much you need to prepare for. It feels almost like impossible to actually know 100% of like your matchups, given how many heroes there are in this game. And how differently they can all play as well. Yeah, especially like when you compete in tournaments, a lot of the players that you're playing against are different from the players that you're testing against. So they might have different approaches to matchups that your team didn't even think of, or they might even be playing characters that your team didn't 
your team or testing group or whatever weren't even like considering as options. So like at New Jersey, I played Chain and we knew Prism was a good matchup for Chain, but no one on, we didn't really put much time into testing Prism leading into that tournament. So my first round against Prism, I lost because uh, I, I basically attacked an aura, planning to use Spellbound Creepers and I couldn't Creepers because the attack never resolved. And that's not a mistake I... I, well, I shouldn't say it's not a mistake I would have made. I would have been less likely to make that kind of mistake. And I definitely learned from doing that. And then the next round, I played against another prism. And that prism had a completely different approach to the matchup. They weren't trying to fatigue me. They were pummeling Herald of Eruditions and stuff. And I lost again to prism with Chain. And I feel like I learned a lot from those two matches. And I think that's going to happen in most tournaments where you just play against things and strategies that you weren't prepared for. And yeah. Yeah, I'll say right now, if you say Briar's not playable around the Wolfpack, they'll eat you alive. So they, oh, uh, tell, them, tell, them I, tell them I said that. I, 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 they'll listen to this, I'm sure, and they'll say, that guy that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, yeah. I, the Wolfpack loves Briar. Like, we might as well be the Briar pack sometime. <laughs> and that's what it's like uh, back in the day. So we're, I guess, part of the Hyperloops. We don't test as rigor- rigorously as you guys. Um, and they really love their chain. Like, Andrew, what was it like? It was like last yeah, so, year before. So you're in, you're in like their Discord channel, and there's always people playing games, and it's like seven people watching two other people playing chain mirrors. And we're <laughs> like, don't you want to test any other matchups? And they're like, no, what's the point? Chain's the best deck. And then it's just like playing chain mirrors the entire time. <laughs> Even like last two weeks ago, someone was trying to make young chain work. <laughs> Classic constructed. Yeah, yeah. you can play Caesar Agony now. You, you sure can. I think the most depressing thing is uh, in the first game, Young Chain beat Fi. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, which I can't, I want to say it's, a t- it's like a player gap, but I felt like both players are decent players. It's just like sometimes as Chain, you just like every time you banish a card, you actually drew a card and then, or you drew like half a card, I guess, depending on the rate. And then you just kill them and you have a husk. You're technically at 26. Yeah, and, I guess. Thinking back to Roger's question earlier, I didn't even think about you could play young heroes in Classic Constructed. So there might be more than 15 heroes that have to be living legend before you register Asalia. Michael Hamilton's going to show up at the CC tournament playing Data Doll. Thank goodness there's no young Starbo, you know. And you can only play Azalea. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other parting uh, questions from Michael Hamilton to our guests before we wrap things up? The last thing I wanted to ask about, there were a few heroes that were not really seen and underperformed that I think, at least for me, were kind of surprising that they didn't really show up in Utrecht. Uh, I wanted to ask if you saw any Icelanders or Alexis in Classic Constructed, and if anything looked promising, I guess. Oh, Michael, did you Um, see any Alexis or Icelanders? I played against Alexis my last round. Um, I can't remember his name, but I know he was, I think he top-aided or top-16 Krakow as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Very good player. Oh, Martin? Martin? Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, He was on Lexi, and I just got so lucky. I did 19 damage to him on the first turn, but six of that damage came in with the Command and Conquer. So he he went first. He did the classic Lexi thing of loading arrow and arsling probably an ice card, and I just just like ganked him completely with the command and conquer and he just had like the biggest sigh he was like this is like the third like there are only four games of cc on day one and he's like this is the third game where my opponent just like donks me with like a lot of damage and ends with the cnc which made me ask him was were they all fives because like that's a very fine line to do like most of the other heroes cannot like do a huge chain and then end with the cnc um also another reason why I like playing five, by the way. Um, and it just was like, like he just took the damage, put the, it was like a, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like a, it was a one resource ice card that like gives plus three. Um, I don't play Lexi. Uh, ice Quake? Yeah, it was a red Ice Quake plus uh, he loaded like a bolt and shot or something. I, I don't remember. Um, but like the game was just like over right there. Um, like he had like a, his hand ended up having an Art of War and Three of a Kind. And I'm pretty sure if I didn't have CNC, I was the one that was dead. Like, I, I think that that deck is definitely really good, um, but just severely underrepresented. Like, I'm pulling up the day two or day one metagame, and there were only 10 Lexis and six Icelanders that even showed up. So... Only 13 old hymns. Yeah. Like... Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's tough. That, that deck is actually probably pretty decent now. 
Icelexy that is. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're talking to two guys who have done six to 10x more testing in CC than we have. So <laughs> you guys probably know more than us, but like, no, I will in, say that like... In, in, infinite. I have played <laughs> against Michael zero games of CC. No, we played... Okay, anyways, like, I I, I just want to say that I did see uh, one Icelander and I knew two of the Icelanders that were there because they were in our friend group. So I will say like, so we, we were playing with some of the like Eastern European dudes and uh, like they all bought multiple decks. Um, most of them were actually on Iceland. Like that was like their team deck, but like none of them could commit to it because they were too scared. And two of them actually ended up bringing Prism instead. And it was so funny because one of them faced another teammate, but the teammate stuck with the team like Icelander deck. And instead of playing, <laughs> they just went to go get KFC. <laughs> <laughs> oh you got me i'll sign the slip let's go get kfc <laughs> pretty funny i i think icelander if you can figure out like your five matchup actually has like an interesting spot where you have pretty good matchup in, against like the aggro decks and then also against old him and then yep yep if like i mean it's like all of these like non-aggro decks you kind of pick like one bad matchup right so like if you pick icelander then prism is your bad matchup if you pick oldheim Prism's your bad matchup. If you pick Prism, <laughs> then like Fi's your bad matchup. Then you have good matchups into like the other uh, yeah. like random other decks. This is also pretty big. Like the the all the aggressive decks are pretty bad for for Prism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I I I think uh, not at not at Utrecht, but when we were playing the Battle Harden in Syracuse, uh, I, I was playing Fi at that time. I was pretty impressed with Lexi. Uh, she had a turn where you want like give endless arrow go again and then i took the damage and then i did like another endless arrow go again and i took the damage um and then she just ended up playing like an arctic incarceration red this was like a three card hand <clears throat> and my hand at the time went from like being able to do like 22 damage to three <laughs> so uh yeah uh, it's just like there there are some like power cards that you can play against aggro decks in isoxy that are very strong um but you do in exchange have like some i i think her matchup against old time is pretty weak and i also i heard that lexi is not supposed to be pretty difficult to play into prism but i'm not 100 percent sure on that one michael hamilton beat me i was on prism he was on lexi at yeah. ohio I think it's better for Lightning Lexi than Ice Lexi, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also never drew Arc Light in Tower yeah, Name. Yeah, I think Ice Lexi is a little bit tougher into Prism. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's too relevant, but there were a couple of Dorinthias that were in the top tables uh, day one. Uh, we ended up befriending one of them. His name was Ignacio, and he did not do well in the draft, which is why we didn't see him do well or didn't see him in top tables. Uh, he was X1 going into day two. We didn't see him in top tables uh, for Classic Instructed. Um, I mean, his deck was kind of good against Phi. Like, just Dorinthia in general is yeah, pretty good against Yeah, because Phi never wants Fi. to block. She gets a million plus one plus one counters on her sword and goes ham. But once again, it's yeah. just another deck that, like, folds to Prism in old time, though. So Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It just wanted to bring it up. I mean, that one isn't as... Um, I don't think it's as, like... Like, I don't think Hamilton was, like, surprised to not see much different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just with, like, Icelander and Ice Lexi, like, the lists are, like, I think they're the hardest lists to figure out in Flesh and Blood, if I'm being honest, because there's no clear, like, roadmap to playing these tempo heroes that we've seen so far in Flesh and Blood. So we've seen, like, the hyper-aggressive decks, and we've seen these hyper-controlling decks do or have a good amount of success so far. But we haven't really seen, like... A tempo style deck like Icelander or Icelexia are going to play. And I'll just be honest, like even in testing, like just from like the turn to turn basis, like evaluating like how much damage to take and like what cards to block with, I feel like that's just a skill like I just don't have at the moment. It's something I'm trying to work on to learn because I think there's value in these heroes. But like between the complexity of maintaining those ratios of like tempo cards, payoff cards, combo cards for these archetypes and then also executing those game plans in like the turn to turn basis i think is like incredibly difficult and i think that also factors into why we might not have seen these heroes if they are actually powerful enough to get there as well yeah there's no like template right like i think yuki is the only person who has done pretty well playing lexi recently um and i'm pretty sure like the post uprising lexi deck is gonna be 
looking a little bit different from the pre-uprising Lexi deck just because you get access to a couple of different cards. Uh, whereas if you're playing, I don't know, you're playing like Old Time or you're playing Viserai or Briar, you pretty much can just like plug and play like what you were playing before, maybe like switch one or two sets of cards. Yeah, and just like the turn to turn basis for like a Guardian or an aggro deck is just like, well, am I like just blocking a whole bunch and then swinging back my hammer or am I just trying to present 50 damage and maximize the offensive capabilities of my hand? Whereas yeah. like you can't like always think about it like binary like that when you're playing in hero like icelander or uh lexi and even to a certain extent and even to a certain extent prism as well where prism also has these weird like setup turns where she's just going to eat like 30 damage to her face sometimes just to like hope that these two auras she's going to set up on her turn are going to be enough to like tempo out for a good period and try to take over the game that way so but all these heroes played so different from each other and even in prism herself we've seen like drastically different builds of her where they're you're trying to go the more herald routes ultimately or these super hard control decks that were trying to fatigue chain so i don't know it's just it's not an easy thing to figure out and as to the pressure of things to figure out before the pro tour yeah you didn't you didn't mention as an underrepresented hero but i think kano also could have a spot this isn't the arsenal if, pass podcast that's why we didn't bring it up. well if everyone, <laughs> if everyone <laughs> well i'm just saying if everyone focuses on phi if the if the meta becomes super polarized to like playing phi or like playing decks that are disruptive against phi then like I, I found myself skimping on Arcane Barrier in Olden. There's like a lot of decisions that you have to make, right, when you're constructing your AD. Absolutely. And I don't think there's going to be a perfect AD for the Pro Tour. I think you just kind of have to yeah. get lucky in your matchups a little bit, get lucky in your games, obviously, and then just play your best and hope you brought a good build. But I just I'm sure Hamilton will figure out the perfect Yeah, yeah. Hamilton, Hamilton's going to find the perfect AD for Oldham. I'm going to beg him for it. He's going to say no, but... Dude, I remember looking at your Starbow list and me and Yongji, like not Yongji, but me and Yongji were just like, oh my god, these ratios are amazing. <laughs> Michael does love a good ratio. I can't attest to that. Thanks. You guys give me too much credit. <laughs> You're buttering, buttering him up. <laughs> but well, it's going to be like two days before the pro turn. I'm like, Michael, please, I, I'm stuck. <laughs> Okay, well, I think uh, we're at, at about a good good time here now to wrap things up after our hug fest on Michael Hamilton. But I'll turn it around and offer a hug fest to our wonderful guests, Yanji and, and Michael Fang for the Attack for 20 podcast. So definitely go check out uh, the episode we just recorded with them, but also the rest of their episodes. Go back, check out their catalog. It's all good stuff. And if you like it, give them a subscribe, a comment, a review on their podcast coming out um, in the next couple of weeks. So... It's really good stuff, and I really appreciate you guys joining us on the Manor Podcast today. Thanks so much for having us. Do you want to thank them, Michael Hamilton? Yeah. Thanks, guys, for coming on. <laughs> and I was also thinking about this, actually, shortly after I finished my answer. <coughs> Sorry. On uh, how, how I prepare for a big tournament. I also try to consume lots of the best content out there. And I think if you're trying to get better at the limited format, uh, Attack for 20 is one of the best, if not the best resource out there for getting better at draft. So definitely give them a listen. You're too kind. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate it. Like I said, definitely check them out. And But most importantly, the next time you're playing Flesh and Blood, when you're attacking for 20, mind your manners. We'll see you guys <laughs> next time. Bye, guys.